Hi, and welcome to the Productized Podcast. If you haven't subscribed already, you can find the Productized Podcast from your favorite podcast player app, and you can subscribe from there. This is our show where we talk with productizers and innovators and cover the stories behind great product experiences and why it matters to innovators and makers like you. So welcome to the 91st episode of the Productize podcast, also the first episode of 2022. This is the podcast where innovators, geeks, creators, and entrepreneurs come to discuss impactful ideas. And our mission is to inspire people to impactful action. My name is Andre Marquia. I'm your host. And today I'm talking with Justina and she's an intersectional, talented young woman. Justina sort of shaped her career in a way that combines her major interests, which are art, technology, design, writing, activism, both environmental and social, mental health, and well-being. She calls herself a storyteller due to the lack of a proper term. And she's also describing what she does and where she's heading in her professional path. She sees a strong value in smart volunteering and multidisciplinary approach towards careers. Hi, Justina, how are you? Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. So I didn't pronounce your surname, but I'm, I'm letting our audience to understand your full name uh, as you pronounce it in Polish, I guess. So if you wanna give us the pleasure. Yeah, of course. I know it's complicated. So the way you pronounce it is Tyankiewicz. That's my surname. All right. And uh, are you currently in Poland right now? Um, yes. Not for long anymore, but yes. Very well. Where are you heading next? Uh, well, I'm planning to move to Dominican Republic for a couple mm -hmm. of months. Nice. Um, yeah, I've actually heard that you have been traveling a lot. Um, actually, I've seen on, on your Instagram feed that you have been to Lisbon recently and, and Portugal. Uh, where have you been here? Uh, where in Portugal? Yeah. Other than, uh, I guess. Well, just Lisbon and Ericeira. Mm -hmm. All right. How did, how so did that go? Did it go? Did you like it? Um, did you yourself? I mean, I went there to sort of explore it as a potential moving location because mm -hmm. i was considering various options before choosing dominican republic at the end um and what can i say about it i liked it that's for sure and it's beautiful it wasn't my first time in portugal as well mm -hmm. um but i just didn't feel like it's the right place for me at this moment in my life mm -hmm. so the Republica Dominicana is the place to go right now. That's how I feel. Yes. Why? Why is that? Why is uh? Why? What? What is attractive to you in uh? Domin in you know Dominican Republic that uh, yeah makes you feel this is the moment in your life to go there. Um. Well, I've had this idea of moving somewhere after I graduated from the university for a couple of years now, but I've never fully understood why is that, that I want to move out, what I want to get out of it, other than just experiencing different culture, different lifestyle. And 
when I visited Dominican Republic a couple of months ago, I realized what I was seeking and that was a sense of a strong community and being surrounded with people that um, are aligned with my values and seek similar things in their lives and grow, want to grow as people, as themselves as well, as much as I want to. Um, and this is something I feel like I found out there. Um, I met those people, I felt like I belonged there, which was also pretty unique to me. Um, and I just felt like this is a place where I should go to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, so you've been living out of Poland also uh, for a while, you've been here in Portugal and, and other places. Which, which places have you actually visited in this digital nomadic tour or pre-tour? Um... Well, I can't say I've actually implemented what is usually understood as digital nomad lifestyle because I've been traveling, but I've only once moved out of Poland. So there's been some countries, mostly in Europe. I've only once been outside of Europe, uh, which was New York City. Um, and yes, I've been working while I've been traveling, but it was more of an on and off uh, travels rather than making it my full-time lifestyle, which is going to happen now. Mm -hmm. So, I, I, you know, one of, one of the things that uh, strikes me in, in what I understand from your career path is that it's very much linked to your interests and, and passions. Uh, so, but apart from work itself, can you tell us what those interests are? What are you actually spending your time on a daily basis? Um, of course. Well, uh, I think I can say I'm lucky enough to work in what I previously spent my free time on. So I've been reading a lot about personal development and building your career, um, mental health, arts, design, environment, new tech. I'm a little bit of a geek myself. So that's been something I've been learning a lot about anyway. And now this is a part of my job. Um, but there are also things that are completely different from what I do as my daily job and these are, are these are sort of my side hustles or hobbies other hobbies um so I picked up ceramics some time ago um and I actually fell in love with it and it was very important to me because I needed something that I would be passionate about which wouldn't be my job so I would feel free to explore it and have fun with it without um, this pressure to improve very fast and be really good at it, you know, just having fun. And I think that's very important, at least to me, uh, to have something like that aside of your job. Are, are you having fun with ceramics so far? Yes, yeah, very much. <laughs> I, I love it, I really love it. And it lets me explore 
different ways of um, expressing myself. And I just feel like it sort of activates a different part of my brain, which is great. Right. And you also seem to have like a dog. She's super quiet so far. Yeah, I hope she will stay like that. She's so so (laughs) What's her name? You're telling me Sue, Sue, right? Sue. S-U, yeah. Are you a dog lover? Uh, I'm an animal lover, yes. In general, animals, but dogs for sure. All right. And um, I also understand you have been uh, photo modeling a little bit. And that's that's one of the dreams that lots of you know young girls have at a certain stage of their life. So, is this you know something you have dreamt while as a teenager, or is this just a some side activity you're doing in your life? How does it fit in your current you know activities, which are very mm-hmm. eclectic? Mm-hmm. Well, just a little correction here. I've been a fashion model, which is mm-hmm. different photo modeling, and I've been a professional model, so signed with an agency for three mm-hmm. years. Um, I make this distinction because this is two different words, sort of similar but different rules. Um, and can you tell us answer, the difference for people that yeah. don't know the difference? Well. Um, the main difference is that to be a fashion model, you need to meet very strict um, expectations of the looks of your body and the measurements. So you need to be tall, thin, and size zero, which is specific measurements in bust, waist, and hips. And for photo modeling, you don't need to be that tall. You can be different size, and you don't even need to be considered um attractive or good looking as most of people would see it mm-hmm. what's the most important is that you know how to present yourself in front of camera that you look good so you need to be photogenic not necessarily pretty you know i'm an i'm of an opinion that everyone is beautiful in the standards of the industry that's that's the difference right and um and 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 just Getting back to the question, right? Is is this something you have been looking for since you were very young, or is just developed by happenstance in your life? Uh, well, no, I've never wanted to become a model. Um, I've had multiple opportunities, and I've been approached by agents uh, when I was growing up, when I was a teenager. But I just always felt like I don't want to be perceived through my look, my appearance um, solely. And it just didn't seem exciting to me. Um, but at the end, um, I was presented with an opportunity at the time when I was sort of exploring, um, checking out how it really is. Mm-hmm. Um, and just so, so I wouldn't, you know, when I'm old, I wouldn't say what if, you know, you I just wanted reg- to regret not. Doing yeah. It. Yeah. So I wanted to see how it is. Um, and I was contacted by an agency and I signed up with them and this is how it started. But um, yeah, it was a um, very challenging journey. So right. no, are, are I wouldn't. Still, are you still active? No. Um, I ended my contract with an agency and 
if I do something in this world, it's only with my friends and just to, I know last time I did a photo shoot, it was for my friend who was kicking off a fashion brand and needed a Facebook photo, so I wanted to help her out. Um, and the photographer was my friend, so it was everything within a community of my friends. Um, but I'm not looking to coming back to professional modeling unless this industry changes, which I don't think happens anything. Yeah, we could go into that direction. But one of the things that I understand you do is you have some causes, you have some activism, you also do some volunteering modeling, so to say, for friends and and so on. So what kind of activism, what kind of topics are you most involved with in terms of causes um, that make you embrace them, really? Uh, well, I describe it as environmental and social activism, which means that there's been periods when I've been act more active in certain areas and less active in other areas it's difficult to you know, do everything all at once. Um, so I've been volunteering both in organizations and sort of doing um, it by myself, by organizing events or uh, lectures and stuff like that. Um, and it was in but the field Organizing of, yourself, you have been the organizer? Yeah. I was sometimes producing an event solely by myself, just, you know, one person group. Um, right. Uh, and yeah, it's been mostly around uh, the topics of empowerment and economical in injustice, um, poverty, uh, lack of access to education, um, what else? Uh, mental health as well. Um, I've been also working with, uh, in working, um, volunteering with an organization dedicated to help refugees. Um, and when it comes to environment protection, um, that was mostly with TEDx. I've been organizing a lot of events um, that would educate uh, the community about how to, how an individual can, um, protect at least the little environment around them, how they can contribute to the big movement of uh, global uh, environment protection. And uh, you've been, you've been yeah. organizing TEDx events yourself or yes. you've been active with the TEDx community? Both. Uh, so yes, I've been uh, I've, in TEDx, it's been with a group of other volunteers, mm -hmm. but I was um, sort of, I sort of owned the strain of uh, environment protection team. So I was organizing those events with people who wanted to help. Mm -hmm. um, and the events I organized myself were mostly about um, humanitarian aid and human rights. Right. And you know, have you spoken? Because I, I understand you also have a talk, right? Yes. Where... Um, I was invited by a different TEDx community to speak at their event. Um, what What was the name? TEDx what? TEDx uh, Youth uh, Kazimierz. Yeah. Okay. Um, that, that was in Poland. 
in Krakow. In, in Krakow. Yes. Mm -hmm. And what what was the topic of your of your talk? Mm, to put it short, I was talking about the difference between self worth and self belief, or self confidence and self belief, and how the latter can help you go through a lot of challenges in your life, both professional and personal. And but how there's, to sort there's of, a difference, right? Between self-confidence and self-belief. That's sometimes what I think. a little bit subtle yeah. and lots lots of people might think it's kind of the same, but it's it's not, right? Yeah. Different. Yeah, I agree. So let's maybe move into your career, which has been quite uh, impressive for your you know, still relatively young age. Um, you did study in Poland and also in the UK, if I'm not mistaken. That's and right. why did you go there? Um, well, I, I remember when I was a kid, I would always dream about going to a really good university with this old library dusty books uh, Harry, Harry Potter mind. style yeah <laughs> and I remember that even in high school I've been going through rankings of um, the best universities in the world and I would check how expensive it is to study there what would I have to do to go there um, what um, results of my education would I have to accomplish um, and very quickly, I realized that probably I can't afford to go to the best university in the world. Um, I wanted to go to Stanford, and I even went to U.S. Embassy to consult if I even have a chance to get there, you know, when I presented them my CV and mm -hmm. um, all of the things I've done during my school time. And they said that I actually can make it. So the financial part was the biggest um but i i can't say the biggest because i still didn't apply so i don't know if in the end i would be accepted but because of the financial part i didn't do it but then i decided that okay so if i can't afford it then i will go to the polish university which we are lucky to be able to study for free um i mean there's no tuition fee um, but I will study hard and I want to go on Erasmus to the best university I can get to. Mm -hmm. um, and then I was looking at universities um, that have um, contracts signed, Erasmus contracts signed with um, universities in Poland, with my university as well. And I found UCL, which is University College London. Um, and they didn't have a contract signed with my university, but they had a contract with another university in my city. Mm -hmm. So I reached out to them. I sent them my cover letter, my CV, and I told them how much I'd love to and dream to study at the university. And if I take care of it, would they be willing to take me in and sign a contract with my university? And they actually said yes, that I... I'm a promising candidate for them and that they're willing to do this. So it took me a year to go through all of the bureaucracy and make all oh. the paperwork. 
Um, but in the end, they accepted me and I was able to study there for a year, which I'm really grateful for. Right. What, 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 did, you, what did you study in Poland? Um, in Poland, it was um, arts and media management. And in UK, um, I decided to sort of ground uh, this knowledge more. And it was mostly about economics, business management um, and strategy. Mm -hmm. So you have like a very eclectic uh, perspective of design, also from a business standpoint. So what were your first steps in your in the workplace, in the marketplace? Uh, was, it, um, was it starting in a company? Was it freelancing? Was it a designer? Um, well, the very, very first steps were when I was still in high school. And when I was 16, I think, um, yeah, 16, I started working as a journalist for a local magazine. Mm -hmm. And I was doing that for three years. And in the meantime, I self-taught how to design uh which is also a funny story though um and then after high school i took a gap year before university oh and, nice you, you did a gap year um, yeah because i wanted to gain um professional experience so that i can work while studying because i had to earn for my living um and i didn't want to do a job that wouldn't contribute toward developing my path of career so i took a gap year and i got an internship at a polish startup that was very very small at the time mm -hmm. and i became a graphic designer copywriter translator and marketer all at once <laughs> and, I was... startup. and what, what yeah. which startup is that well, it's a um, cosmetic brand, Body Boom. Now they're, they actually sold it to a bigger company, so it's no longer a startup. Um, and yeah, they grew a lot through the years. Would you recommend young people, I don't know, 18, 17, like you were back then, to do a gap year? This, this, because Absolutely. it's not so common, right? you, you, you do see more and more people doing gap year between... Uh, the bachelors and the masters or sometimes even after the masters before getting to the the job market but doing it at such a young age uh, i guess it's not for everyone maybe um so why would you recommend it well i would say if someone has a break their idea what they want to do what they want to study already in high school then I think it's fine to go and do it. But if someone is like me and I had absolutely no idea what I want to study, I initially was going to study psychology, which I'm also very interested in. Yeah, but that I, wouldn't, I saw that. <laughs> yeah, but it wouldn't lay down foundations for the work I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. um, or it would take me longer to get where I am now. So I would say that if someone is confused, at any point in life, and if it's possible for them to take a gap year or a gap month or two months. Um, yeah. Once you're an adult, I, I think you're calling it sabbatical, right? Which, um, but so, so even at, at the younger age, what you're saying is that if you know exactly what you want to study, that's fine. You can go to the university. But if, if you are in doubt, if you're not so sure, um, maybe doing a gap year. It's a good 
process and one and did you do this gap year on your own terms did you did you have some help from any specific organization that helps you uh, guide the gap year uh, how did you find this startup job i'm really curious to understand because I, I i guess you were afraid right you were what 17 18 and you were doing mm-hmm. this maybe your parents were not super happy with the fact that you were doing a gap year instead of going to <laughs> to the university so what was the the thought process that helped you guide into this decision well i think that first of all i was very much determined to gain the experience the job experience that i wanted Uh, and i had a very vague idea of what kind of job i want to try doing um and no i did it completely on my own on my own terms just sort of figuring out how to do it as I went um and I just knew that I don't want to waste this year I want to really work and work towards setting this foundation that will allow me to earn while studying later on um and so I think I just went on some online place like a job advertisement platform Mm -hmm. um and i created my cv i learned how to do it um like you know now everything is on youtube i i learned how to graphic design from youtube so it's it's a free university um as it's actually (laughs) you're actually Isaac, the second guest saying that uh here uh youtube is a free university right yeah it, it really is. You just really have is. to have this willingness to learn. And first of all, admit that you don't know something and you need to seek how to do something. Um, and so, yeah, I learned how to do it. I, I think I used some free program to create my CD. Um, and I started sending it out. And I remember that the recruitment process for the startup took them so long. I think it took them two months. <laughs> that I I was already sure that they probably missed it. Like, I don't know, I had so much self-belief that I felt like they would probably take me, but maybe they missed it or they canceled the recruitment process. Mm -hmm. And I started applying for other jobs uh, that would let me earn while looking for another job. So I I went to restaurants to apply to be waitress, etc. And I remember that one day, before my test day in a restaurant as a waitress, the startup guys reached out to me and they said that they invite me to the interview uh, and nothing was confirmed, but I already canceled on the restaurant and I went full on. Um, I gained all the confidence I had and yeah. And actually during the conversation at the interview, I said that I have a graphic design portfolio because that was a internship for, I think, social media assistant, something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, and I thought that, okay, this is easy. I use social media. I can probably do this. <laughs> well, now I know how wrong I was. But um, yeah, during the interview, I just said, like, you know, mentioned that I also learned how to design and I have a portfolio and they wanted to see it and you know all of a sudden I became a main graphic designer for them um in-house uh, graphic designer so it was quite while, surprising while you were still learning to be a graphic designer yeah <laughs> yeah I remember that um 
in the first week they gave me a project to do and I didn't know how to do it. So I was watching YouTube tutorials on my lap under the desk on the phone, <laughs> how to do it because I just didn't want to say that I don't know how, because I really wanted to get a job after this internship. So, you know, I really wanted to show them that the, this um, can do attitude and that I am willing to learn and progress quickly, um, which I know later on they really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Can do it's such a powerful. Um, I, I'm yeah, not can really, do or fake yeah, it till you make it, you know. <laughs> yeah, fake it until you make it. Not Tirano style though, but uh, but with a certain purpose and and actually, if you actually make yeah. it, it's totally fine. Not to cheat on people, but you know, to sort of make the slip over the things that you know you can learn quickly, but don't know how to make it. Right. Absolutely. So. That's how you began working as a graphic designer. Eventually, you went to the university. You took the graphic design, um, and 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 once you're out of out of college, you became a graphic designer, and that's how um, you started your career. Well, actually, you know, um, so when I was doing, I after the internship. Uh, they offered me a full-time job, which I accepted. And right. during that time, I went to the graphic design school, which is the one-year um, school for adults that I teach in right now. Um, and also during that time, I started taking a freelance job uh, from international clients mm. and building sort, sort of building my network uh, among those. And during the university, I was um, freelancing as a graphic designer. So that was very convenient to me because I was able to do this while waiting for another class or even during a, quite a boring lecture. Um, so, you know, this multitasking was very useful for me at that time. And actually, when I was approaching, I think, 21, I burned out in graphic design and since then i've never took it back as a full-time job um i've been on and off i've been trying to get back to it but it hit me so bad that i sort of shivered when i had to do it again and i started looking for a different path for myself yeah, all right um did you ever have a case of plagiarism of your work being copied or feeling that your work was not being properly um, referred to? Mm, well, there was one case, but I decided not to dig into that. Um, there was also a case when I was... Um, when I created a design and the company I sold it to later on came back to me and said that they found the design that is nearly the same mm -hmm. and they said that i committed plagiarism which later on i was able to prove that this was my original work and this is just you know a statistically possible it is yeah i mean there's only <laughs> has many iterations of certain yeah. geometric patterns right one of the, the hot topics of nowadays um, is Web3, um, not just the movement, but also in terms of the design aesthetics and also the opportunities it creates 
it brings for designers as a way to co-create and find new value creation paths for their work. How do you see the, the Web3 movements into the design space? Do you think this is going to help create you know, new um, opportunities for designers? Do you think this is sustainable? And in terms of the actual aesthetics, I, I was, you know, I've been you know, following at a distance, but I, I see the aesthetics to be very um, idiosyncratic in in a way right because you look into that back in a way back to basics it feels like web tree design aesthetics is, is has a little bit of web web one for those that remember mm -hmm. like old people like me uh <laughs> back in the 1990s and and some of the design choices are are coming back are are a little full of it has a come back to the 90s so what what's your take on that mm, well I think as most of regular people right now, I'm also just figuring out what the whole web free thing is and trying to navigate through this. I'm actually in the process of writing an article about it and I've done an interview with a person who's really deep into that topic. Um, but it was more on a business side. Um, so I think the reason why it looks like this aesthetically right now is that there is a big, this is what I'm observing. There's a, quite a big pressure on the designers to really get back to the roots of designing and, um, and remember that they are designing for people, not for robots or machines, you know? And this is also something I'm, I put a strong emphasis on for my students when I teach them the basics of design. Um, that we need to, as designers, we need to always have people in mind and remember that we are doing it for them and they have their set of emotions and their set of experiences that is going to uh, impact the way they interact with a project that we deliver to them. Um, and also, I think that right now, uh, Web3, the whole concept of Web3 is so complicated that a lot of people don't even see. I mean, I know a lot of people who don't really know what it is, how to connect it with anything they know already, what it will bring to their lives. And right. this is something that most of new tech-related solutions or products uh, face at the beginning that, you know, you create new technology and it if it's done right, the new technology should be created to solve real life problems, right? But sometimes it, you just create new technology by accident and then you look where you can implement it. And so for it to pass through the chasm, you know, the early adapters will always get on the new product, new tech, because they are like super geeky and they want everything new and they are testing. But it's the majority who decides on the success of the solution or the product. Absolutely. So, so for the majority to adapt to it, it needs to be simplified and sort of broken down into smaller, more approachable elements that they can associate with something they already know. Mm -hmm. So I think in this, um, a lot of responsibility relies on UX designers to make the um, sort of the 
skeleton of the whole structure in Web3 are so seamless and the way we can move in there and the way, the way we can interact with it so seamless that it feels uh, nearly like Web2, but on steroids, you know, <laughs> just taken to another level without, the, without us needing to learn. So the transition should be smooth and all of the jargon that is around Web3 right now, you know, NFTs and all of that, even very few people um, who are not into this topic know what that actually means. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that while designing, we should also be thinking about how to simplify it and break it down to make it more approachable and um, to increase the accessibility and usability of Web3 as a whole. Yeah, I totally agree. There's um and, and that's that's one one of the reasons why you, you call yourself a storyteller. It's telling stories is also about writing and making things easy for people to understand, memorable and impactful in their lives, right? Yeah. Um, or to their lives. So what so what do you actually mean when you define yourself uh with this term as a, a storyteller? Well, um, at the moment when, that I mentioned when I burned out and I was trying to figure out a new path for myself, I realized that my two sort of main passions or two main directions of development in my career path, which is design and writing, are connected. Uh, because in design, I've been the most passionate about brand development and uh, brand identity development and that connects to writing as well because this is essentially telling a story either through design or through words or both this is telling a story and um, I've also realized that people like stories and need stories and you know this is an obvious thing since centuries that people have this need to tell stories um and the and way be, we can, to be told stories as well right yeah to hear stories and hear stories. um to sort of go into another world through um emphasizing with the story you know this is how it helps you um get new ideas even or relax um and the way we tell stories is obviously changing and new tech is coming in as well in this area. Um, and so I decided that storytelling is broad enough to accustom all of the fields that I'm interested in, but narrow enough that I know what to focus on and I know which areas, which skills to improve so that um, I can ensure that as word evolves, I can evolve too. So one of the things that you have been doing is, is also teaching. And how do you, are you using storytelling techniques to create connection with students or to storify your own classes? Oh, a lot. Um, all of my classes are basically me telling 
stories and bad jokes. Um, <laughs> okay, I would love to go while... to classes. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I when I are you teaching in in Polish or or, Polish. or in English in Polish? In Polish, yeah. So when I give um, Polish jokes, of... okay, I would not. But Polish that. jokes, no. <laughs> um, so when I was saying that, um, when I give uh, my students a piece of theory, I try to dress it up in a story, a real life story from my experience or experience from my friend designers. So that, you know, even if it's not, if the theory is not too complex, they have a nearly hands-on experience immediately with how to use it or how it affects your work as a designer. I mean, the theory that they've just learned about. Mm -hmm. So, and um, yourself, you, you see yourself as more a minimalistic um, style designer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's... Um, For people that are not so much into design, what does being a minimalistic uh, designer actually mean? If, if, you, if you can instruct us. Um, well, it depends how one um define minimalism because it can be either aesthetics or the whole ideology um a broader approach and if it's aesthetics then it's very um individual so for one person minimalism might mean only white and black colors and very few decorated elements and for the other person minimalism means you know stripes not flowery pattern um and so for me personally, it's been always about also telling a story for my design. And um, in design, very often it, the case is that if you limit the amount of visual um, expressions, visual um, tools in your project, and if you use only the absolutely necessary ones, so for example, if you are designing something with text, a layout, then only two colors are necessary, you know, the one for background and the other one for typography. Um, and same with an illustration, two colors are the absolutely minimum amount of colors that you need for uh, illustration to take place. Um, and when you narrow it down so much, there is a room for additional meaning and uh, some story to be told through the design, which would be, which would get lost in the richness and variety of visual expression, which is also good. But for myself personally, I preferred minimalist design also because I'm really bad with Choosing colors and making color palettes. So it's just convenient. Yeah, actually, we have like a comment here from Masis Stakovich, and he's saying that storytelling is the future of design. Brands are looking for connection with user. Lots of designers can design good looking stuff, but not memorable stuff. Yeah, I agree. You agree? Um, I definitely agree. Um, especially, we we can already see how much brands are trying to 
enter our everyday lives in not so obvious ways, not advertising. I mean, they go on social media and they create other kinds of values that are branded, but we don't necessarily understand it as advertisement. And so... Like like, like what, for example? Um, like, what's the example of this? Uh, I don't know if I can give a specific one, like, of, out of top of my head. Um, I mean, maybe, yeah, that's, that's, that's fine. If you actually uh, remember, I think you, you also have been working with the uh, design studio, Huku and Ku, or Uku Iku, and uh, what well, have you actually been working with them? Is it also uh, design or the storytelling? It, because they have been working with amazing brands like uh, Ursa Major, Boom Supersonic, um, which are really very hot. Well, startups in the case of Boom Supersonic, I guess they're still a startup because the product is still not being um, sold, at least to my knowledge. So what, what is actually the, the work that you have been developing with, with them? Um, it's also storytelling, but through text and through visuals. So I've been curating uh, visual content and writing. I've been mostly writing articles and um, interviewing experts from different fields to um, sort of bring certain complex concepts closer to the community around the brown, for example, web free right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you want to check it out, I will we'll put the 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 link of of the medium here on well here on the on the the chat of YouTube and and later also on the resources of the the podcast. So one of the the things that um, that maybe we can take away from this conversation is advice advice for anyone wanting to entering the design dash ux dash stories storytelling space and i think one of one of the things we can agree is that this is is merging into one space right storytelling brand equity design ux it's 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 pretty much being so much interwind that it's it's harder and harder to see uh, very specific differences at least in terms of the way that it's it's getting to consumers so what kind of advice would you have to someone that that wants to get in um and and think about that young 17 18 year old justina would you recommend doing kind of the same paths going on this internship gap year uh or maybe a different formulation mm-hmm. well so at first i would say that I fully realize how overwhelming it seems at first when you sort of enter this world and look around and you're like, oh no, everyone is so experienced and doing such an amazing job and this is so competitive that I can never get in. Um, And well, to enter this world is not that hard, but to make your way up the ladder, it's obviously harder because it's, very popular field and lots of people are doing this and 
lots of people are entering this um, area all the time. Um, so what I would say is sort of identifying what is unique about you and what you can, what unique things you can bring into this world through your other interests, your aesthetics, your goals in design, um, because everyone has it. Everyone has a unique style, um, unique approach to designing. And this is something that can differentiate you from other designers. This is also something I tell to my students that at first you might think that, okay, they're graphics are so amazing because they have better software, they have better hardware than me, or they know better how to use the program. And this is something that's going to differentiate you from other designers for, I don't know, the first three years, maybe, when you still learn how to use software and other than that. But after this, it's only going to become a tool. It's like driving a car. You don't necessarily think of what you're doing, but you're doing it. And what is differentiating you from different drivers is how you use uh, rules on the road right how you if you drive your car economically or not if you know how to do it um and so in design um when you get to the point of um, knowing well how to use the software that you use as a designer the only thing that's going to differentiate you from other designers is your unique approach to design your unique style your and method yeah and it's good to know what is that so what i would say is doing as much as you can before you enter this world so if you're still in high school or you have another job and you're thinking of um re um i forgot the english word for that um sort of reshaping your path into design um, I would say start doing a side hustle, make design your side hustle and create, be it illustrations or um, layouts or web uh, drafts, mobile uh, app drafts, whatever it is that, that interests you. But try to dig into that and tap into that before you have the pressure of money because you know once you start earning with your design, it's obviously amazing, but it's also a pressure that it should be the quality for the value of money that you get for your design. And I'm also being asked by my students like what's the path that they want that they should take if they want to be freelancers. Mm -hmm. And I would say that it's in my opinion, it's best to start from an internship in a company because then you learn what are the expectations of a designer, um, how to be professional, and you have the safe space, safe network to learn and to make mistakes because you're on an internship and it's by default understood that you're going to make mistakes because you're only learning. But when you start doing your freelance job and you're working with a client, the space for the room for mistakes is much, much smaller. And you're 
someone that you're working for is assuming that you're professional enough that you can deliver high quality work for the value of money that they give you back. So I would say create a very unique portfolio that is presenting your unique method, your unique approach, um, your unique vision on design that is presenting your personality through it, especially when you don't have uh, uh, jobs or uh, design examples from collaborations with clients. Mm-hmm. You can still ha- build a very strong portfolio and then apply for internship, be it um, in the office or remote, where you can learn and learn as much as you can and really dedicate your energy and time to squeezing as much as you can out of it. And then, or in the meantime, even better, start looking for freelance um, gigs or another job. Very well. Thank you so much, Justina. It was uh, great having you with us. Thank Thank you you. for having me. It was a great pleasure. Thanks. Um, All right. So, guys, thank you for also joining our Productized podcast. If you enjoyed your stay with us, give us your review on Spotify podcasts or wherever you're listening to this and share this episode with friends and colleagues. You also have show notes and more episodes at theproductized.medium.com. That's our you know, that's, that's our blog. You can also join our community and we will be sharing the links in the, the chat here on, on YouTube or on the podcast description. Let me just tell you that this podcast was hosted by me, Andre Marquis, was produced by uh, Teresa Sigismundo, research by Katrina Shirzik and sound editing by Miguel Souza. Maybe a special word to Teresa. She's actually living the company after... Uh, some years with us and it was really a pleasure to have had uh, Teresa doing lots of the podcasts lots of the shows um, conference master classes you know uh, boot camps I think she has nailed it every every single piece of uh, um, our experience so Teresa thank you so much for for being with us do you want to go online no <laughs> okay so that's it this is it guys thank you so much justina as well have a a good time bye-bye you too bye